listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. What a great time we had with our 24 hours of prayer. And uh, for those that participated uh, that came here, thank you so much for that. And for those that maybe weren't here but were praying anyway, we had, we had between our two congregations 120 people that participated in 24 hours of prayer. And at the same time, at noon on Friday, um, the Pinecrest Church, last, last year Jason stole all of my materials uh, and used them at Pinecrest for 24 hours of prayer. And they had another 50 people praying while we were praying um, at the same time and just lifting our hearts up to the Lord. So thank you so much for your faithfulness in that. So good to hear y'all sing. Uh, it's a beautiful, a beautiful sound to hear you sing, to hear you sing out, um, and I praise the Lord for that. Just a couple of things before we look at Philippians chapter 4, and I would ask you to turn to Philippians 4 this morning. Um, we're having a prayer service tonight just to kind of uh, cap off the weekend. It begins at 5 o'clock. I'm hoping that will be done promptly at 6 o'clock. Uh, we have nursery for uh, the younger kids. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the age groups are for the nursery. Chris, what is that? Third grade down. So third grade down, we have nursery um, for the kids tonight. Um, if you want to come, we invite you to come tonight. If you have other things to do, I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want to pressure you. If you want to watch the football game or just, just whatever it is, um, but because I don't want folks gathering here tonight to pray that that do so regretfully. Um, so if you can come tonight joyfully and want to join us at five o'clock, um, it's going to be uh, you're not going to be called upon to pray unless you're in a small group and there may be some need or you need to lead your small group in prayer. But it's going to be a time of us together uh, singing to the Lord, of us praying Scripture. And in the middle of, middle of it, getting in small groups and praying for one another, again, guided by Scripture, um, and then coming back together and just praying Scripture to close out the service and singing several songs interspersed with that. So uh, let me invite you to come and join us tonight. And then next Sunday is our partners meeting. And um, just to be clear, um, we, we are meeting here in Locust Grove and the McDonough uh, congregation, they're going to have, for the first time, a partner's lunch there. For the first time, we're having separate partner's lunch. We're going to try. We're apt to change, but we're going to try to rotate it. We'll have partner's lunch, and they'll have partner's lunch, and then the next time we have partner's lunch, we'll do it together. Um, what happens with partner's lunch being here all the time is not everybody up there is as apt to drive from McDonough to here as we are as apt to stay here when we brought our food. So it's a whole lot easier for us than it is for them. So uh, a, a good number of their people are missing the benefit of partner's lunch. That's why we're doing that. Uh, they may want to address, it was difficult to say, for example, um, our giving is down um, and their giving isn't. Do we want to beat up McDonough for their uh, giving and us not giving. So it gives us an opportunity, and I don't know of any specific issue that we need to address by meeting in two different places. Let me be very clear. I don't know of any specific issue. In fact, I I'm guessing I'll probably be leading the partners meeting, and, and I'll, I'll figure out sometime this week what we're supposed to be addressing. We've talked about a little bit about it, but I'm focused on Philippians 4, and my mind doesn't have much space for uh, anything else besides that. But um, no, nobody's, somebody was asking McDonough, is somebody resigning next week? Is that why we're having? I've explained to you the reasons why we're having it. If we were to say, well, let's have it down there. How many of you would drive to McDonough for partners meeting instead of staying here? And if you got there, you'd have a hard time finding somewhere to park. Um, so, so please understand that's exactly why we're doing it. And, uh, and if there's any other reason, uh, I'm not aware of it. So we're in the three week of our third week of our prayer se series. And we looked at Psalm 142, and we looked last week uh, from Psalm 85 on revival. First week, we looked at prayer for rescue, um, prayer for revival, and this week, we're looking at prayer for rest. And what we're looking at is we're looking at situational praying. 
uh, there are plenty of places in Scripture where we are commanded, where we are, are instructed to pray. And certainly there's some instruction here in Philippians. But, but primarily, I think we're looking at a situation in the church at Philippi that we're going to be able to look at, and we're going to be able to maybe enter into that situation and then take the text of Scripture and apply it to where we are and say, hey, if this is how they responded to that situation, particularly anxiety or a lack of rest, then how should we respond to anxiety like they did? So I'm not giving you a formula. I'm not giving you any tricks. I'm not, I'm not giving you any magic words or incantations to say so that prayer will work. For you, we're just looking at situational praying and trying to see what the Spirit would teach us through that. The book of Philippians, Paul is in prison. That's important because Paul is going to say some things to us that are going to sound, quite frankly, unreasonable. Paul is, is saying over and over again in the book of Philippians, rejoice, 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 rejoice. And he says in the text that we're looking at today, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, if you just didn't get it the first time, rejoice. And you may be in situations where rejoicing just sounds, quite frankly, unreasonable. Right? You don't see how. And so let us take into account that Paul, in this prison epistle, is himself in prison. And if you want to go to Acts 16 and get the context for it, um, these guys were arrested. They were beaten severely. I mean, flogged. And it appears in the text that it wasn't just like, you know, I mean, they were getting beat up pretty bad by a great crowd. I would quit right there. I would probably quit if somebody gave me an ugly grin, you know. I, I would quit if somebody just jumped at me. Somebody strikes me, I'm running. I'm not going to run far. I'm going to find something to defend myself and hopefully make you regret striking me, right? That's my flesh. But I'm just not, and, and if this is what serving Jesus gets you into, then what good does it do to serve Jesus? That's where I would be. But he didn't just get beat, but he get put, got put in the inner part of the prison, and he's in stocks, and he's in there with the prisons. Their prisons aren't like American prisons. Those places are terrible. They don't have flushing toilets. You know, nobody's coming in and sanitizing it. There's no, there's no hand sanitizer. There are, no, there are no Clorox wipes. There's no Clorox. There's no Fabuloso. Amen. It's terrible. And he and, and his comrade are in stocks, and they're in the center of the prison singing praises to God. So when you read Philippians, it's not just some guy sitting at a desk pontificating it's a guy who's had his teeth kicked in for the cause of Christ and he's saying rejoice Philippians chapter 4 verse 1 therefore and Paul in chapter 3 is talked about pressing on <laughs> pressing on while he's in prison guys I'm, 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 look, I'm looking to the finish line I'm looking to the goal and the goal, the, the goal is, is Christ's likeness and the goal is, is being who he wants me to be and accomplishing all that he wants me to call, accomplish and so there is this goal I press on I press on and, and then he comes and I love verse 20 and it's going to be part of what we're looking at today he said but our citizenship is in heaven and uh, from it we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ that's important. That's important. I'm looking for something better than anything could ever be on this earth. He says in verse 21, who will transform our lowly body and to, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown of rejoicing, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Whenever he's telling us to stand firm, he's like, you got to dig in your heels. There's some stuff that's coming at you that's going to knock you back. There's some stuff that's coming at you that's going to take the wind out of yourselves. There's some stuff that's going to come coming at you that's going to hit you in the gut. There's going to be a, a spiritual gut punch, a left hook, a right cross, a flying kick. It's coming at you incessantly, and you have to determine that I, I believe this, and I'm going to stand firm in it. Then he takes us to this situation, verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree. You might want to circle that word agree 
That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the trigger in the text here. To agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, talking about people coming along, people around them, people in the church, help these women who have labor side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Evidently, there are these two women in the church who have a problem and they have put it before the mission of God and they have put it before the transforming work of the power of God in their heart. They have made their issue bigger than God. They have made their issue bigger than the church. They have taken this issue, they've drug it into the church. It is impacting their relationship with each other. And if my relationship and your relationship are impacted and we are not willing to figure out what's wrong between us and resolve what's wrong between us, pretty soon that poison spreads throughout the whole church. And so he's saying, ladies, you got to agree. I think it's interesting that we don't know what the disagreement was. Do you hear me? Because I'm telling you, boy, we flex, we flex it sometimes. We're like, I am right. Oh, you know, I'm right. I don't know that he cared who was right. They may have even had scripture to back them up. And boy, I'm telling you what, when you write and you can fling some scripture at it, Lord have mercy, don't mess with me. Don't mess with me, I'm right. And, and I'm right, and God said I'm right, and so I'm double right. I don't know if there was a doctrinal issue. Doctrine is important. Never hear me minimalize that. I don't know if there was an ethical issue. Ethics is important. I'm not minimalizing that. I don't know what in the world was going on, but Paul didn't see a need to say, you're right and you're wrong. You apologize to them. And by the way, if you're offended, Euodia, you don't have to forgive Zintiki until she says she's sorry. I don't know who did who wrong. I don't know what the problem is. All I know is that, that this problem has taken precedence in their lives over the gospel that they were laboring in together and over the health of the church. Paul moves on. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, the Lord is at hand means the Lord is near. It means he's coming back soon. That goes back to Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we are waiting for Jesus Christ to come back. And when I live beneath the context of the soon return of Jesus Christ, it transforms everything I think and say and do and how I live in this life. He's coming back. The Lord is at hand. So he goes from rejoicing, and, and he, now he says, Do not be anxious about anything. That's a good place to laugh if you want to because we've all failed at that. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which, passes, which surpasses the peace of God. Watch this. The peace of God which surpasses. Watch this. Watch this. The peace of God that is superior Understanding. The peace of God that is superior to intellect. The peace of God that is superior to human reasoning. To rationale. Right? A lot of times we're like, I'll tell you what, all I do is I just deal with reason. I'm a, I'm a stoic. I, I, don't, I don't get into... I don't get into emotional things. Good luck with that. You'll never know the peace of God. Because there's a peace of God that goes much deeper than your soul that is superior to your logical reasoning capacity. And there's sometimes that we just need that. Right? There's sometimes that we just, we've got to have that. 
You don't have to have a reason for everything. You don't have to have an explanation for everything. You don't have to know why for everything. You don't have to have a verse for everything. Sometimes the peace of God just moves in and floods your soul. And the peace of God, which is superior to all understanding, will guard your hearts. The the concept of guarding your heart and guarding your mind goes back to the word agree. Goes back to anxiety because you see their lack of agreement was essentially a heart issue and their lack of agreement is the thing that precipitated, that drove, that fueled their anxiety. But now there is this peace of God that passes understanding that comes in and all of a sudden now it is protecting my heart. And that's what we need. Let me, let me just try to give you a, a simple outline. Number one, we see the problem in verses one to three. It's the problem in Philippi, but it's the problem in Locust Grove too. And, and the problem is twofold. Number one, uh, the, the problem has to be seen in the context of, of the beauty, the beauty of gospel focus, the beauty of, of gospel intentionality, the beauty of gospel intensity. The beauty is this, that there is something that is, that is bigger than me. There is something that is bigger than my life. There is something that is bigger than my personal world. And it is the advance of the gospel. You can see in verse number 13, Paul said, I want you to know, verse 12, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul's sitting in prison. He's sitting in prison. So, so there is this beauty that says there's something bigger than me, and it is the advance, it is the advance of the gospel. But here is what we don't understand. The gospel does not advance because of buildings or organizations or human ingenuity or personality. The, the gospel advances relationally, always. Do you hear me? By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. How? By the way that you love one another, by the way that you relate. John 13, 34. And 35, the context of gospel advancement is the supernatural relationships of those who say they believe the gospel. And Uodi and Sintiki are, are, are modeling the exact opposite of that. So we see this, we see this beauty. And Paul is, is peppering all of Philippians with it. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9. And it is my prayer that you may love that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So he's, he's like, okay, I want, I want you people in Philippi, I want your love to abound. Verse 27 of chapter 1, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's relational. That's important. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interest of others. It seems like he's kind of driving toward this issue and and mentioning these ladies' names here in the book of Philippians. So when we come to chapter 4 and verse number 1 and following, it all makes sense. The gospel advances relationally when our focus is on eternity. So stand firm in the Lord, recognizing that your citizenship is in heaven and we're sitting here waiting for Christ to return. But secondly, not only do we see the beauty, but in this verse we see the, the brokenness. Let me just break it down and give you a few words in verse number two here. That helps me understand the text, and maybe your brain hopefully doesn't work like mine, but maybe in some ways it does, and you like to know what the words in the text mean um, so that we can understand what the text says. Let me also say this before I look at these verses. These ladies are in conflict. Some people thrive on conflict. Some people love conflict. Just got to have something stirred up. And, and I'll tell you, conflict can make us feel very powerful. Some people like to walk into a situation, stir it up, stand back. I feel so powerful 
They were getting along and now they hate each other because I just dropped a little subtle sentence. Were those other people in the text that shouldn't stand back and love a good fight? Right? Here's this conflict in the text and it's just it's the brokenness that we see in the text. And as Paul is saying, I entreat you. The word entreat is the same word where we get the, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, parakaleo. Paul's saying, I come close and I speak directly to you. So he's calling out Euodia and Sintiki. Said twice, I treat Euodia, I entreat Sintiki. I'm coming close. It's up close and it's personal. Paul is taking responsibility for their relational brokenness and he's saying church do the same if there's anybody in this body where there is relational brokenness we should dive into the middle of it to try to help them resolve it always relational brokenness is disruptive and destructive it slams the brakes on gospel advancement when you gossip when you are a facilitator, when you are a distributor of division or friction or dissonance, you are right where Satan wants you. And with all of the good news as Paul is sitting in prison because of the gospel of grace and peace and all that they have seen as lives have been transformed in this church at Philippi, there are these two women who can't see past their shallow and temporal conflict, their offense, their anger, and they're willing to destroy the church at Philippi because of their angry spirits, because of their unforgiving hearts, and because of their pain. He said, I'm entreating you to agree, to be of the same mind in the Lord. The word Agree is this word that means the parts around the heart, right? The parts around the heart. In other words, whatever the issue is, watch, watch. Whatever the issue is, the issue is never the issue. The problem is never the problem. The problem is your heart. The heart of the problem is your heart. You say, oh, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know how many people almost ran me off the road when I was waiting for my wife for one hour to get off of a Delta plane and I drove around and around and around and around that circle. You don't know how many times somebody almost pulled over on me and things came out of my mouth that didn't filter through my mind. I didn't use any profanity. Don't ask me what I thought. And as I drove around and I got angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier. And she just likes to send me cryptic text. And I'm like, call me and tell me I like details. You know, I'm, sta- I'm, I'm standing at luggage, you know, number four. There are 113 pieces of luggage and I hadn't seen mine yet. And I'm driving around and I'm saying, what in the world is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? What is this inside of you that just keeps boiling over? It's not that guy in the car beside you. He's just trying to get somewhere like you are. It's not the people at the airport. They're doing the best they could. The guy probably was listening to the football game yesterday and forgot and left her only bag on the cart and drove back to the plane with it. And he did. something inside of me that's just messed up and it's my heart and, and he's saying he's saying ladies the, 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 the problem is not whatever you think the issue is the problem is your heart literally this word for, for, for neo is, is, speaks of the, the diaphragm or possibly the, the, the bowels the place the seat of our emotions and and it, He's saying the problem is that you are not being properly spiritually regulated from within. There is this heart 
dissonance that is creating this emotional dissonance that has a direct line to your thinking and reasoning, that has a direct line to your actions, and all of these things are inseparable. And consequently, I don't know a whole lot about the heart. I just heard people talk about having atrial fibrillate, AFib, right? And it's like everything ain't working like it's supposed to work in the heart. And when everything ain't working like it's supposed to work in the heart, there's a good chance that something could get really out of whack and it could damage your heart and probably affect the, brain, the oxygen going to your brain and going to the rest of your body. And so if there's something wrong with your heart, there's something wrong with all the rest of you. And these ladies just have relational AFib. Something's wrong with their heart and it's deeply impacting the entire body. So the heart of the problem is never the problem. It's your heart. Your heart is the heart of the problem. And that is why, again, when we come to verse 7 and he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind. That's where the problem is. And they were all willing to let their problem bring gospel advance to a screeching halt in the church. That's the problem. We see the beauty that God has laid out for us and what he expects for us, of us as believers. And then we see uh, what he's provided for us in his death, in his life, in his resurrection, in his spirit coming to live in us. But then we see this brokenness that is manifested here in Philippi. But secondly, we see... The perspective, beginning in verse 4, and the perspective is this, rejoice in the Lord. And he says it all over. Now, what, is, what does rejoice mean? Interesting word. It means leaning toward grace. Leaning toward grace. It means delighting in God's grace. It mean, means being conscious of God's grace. It means experiencing God's grace. So Paul, sitting in this prison for the most part, abandoned, being chased like a dog, being beaten like a drum. It says rejoice. Lean toward grace. Rejoice in the Lord, not circumstances, not what he hasn't or has done, but rejoice in him. And he's saying rejoice in the Lord always, at all times, in all circumstances. I don't understand what you're saying, Paul. Can you break it down? Yes, and again, I say rejoice. We don't need to break it down any further than that. The shallowest and thinnest and most trivial form of rejoicing is when we rejoice in situations and circumstances. That is shallow rejoicing. When we rejoice in situations and circumstances, when we feel like we have controlled circumstances and outcomes, That's what we rejoice in. When we do something and it works. When we invest in something and it gains. When we try to fix something and it works. When we try to control an outcome and we do. That, that, is, that is the most flimsy and most shallow kind of rejoicing. And Paul is saying, I want you to go deeper. I want you to rejoice in the Lord. And ultimately, that is the only place where you can put your rejoicing and it will hold. He says rejoice in the Lord. The second word here in verse 5 is reasonableness. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonableness, some of your translations say gentleness. Some say forbearance. Some say mildness. And what he's saying here, he says your reasonableness is over and against a form of legalism that says I'm right, you're wrong, you're wrong, I'm right. You might be able, Euodia and Santiki, to, to bring a video in and say, this is what she did and this is why I'm mad at her. And the, the jury's going to meet and they're like, oh, yeah, if, if she did that to me, I would be mad at her too. Right? And, and then Santiki brings in witnesses and, and she's got witnesses and 10 witnesses and they all saw the same thing and Euodia did something that was odious. Yeah, if she said that to me, I'd, I'd feel the same way. If she looked at my husband that way, I'd feel the same way, you know. 
But he's saying, let your gentleness, let your forbearance, let your mildness. The word literally means unwillingness to litigate or contend. Think about that. It means somebody has hurt you, somebody has offended you. There is clearly some form of offense or wrong, but you are unwilling to litigate it. You are unwilling to contend. You are willing to let it go for the sake of the relationship and the sake of the gospel. I'm not saying don't try to get in and work it out, but I am saying you cannot leave the offense in the middle of the relationship. You let your gentleness be known to all, and everybody ought to look at you and say, uh, that's the kind of person that just doesn't hold a grudge. That's the kind of person that is quick to forgive. Some of us are so angry and so frustrated and so bitter and so filled with anxiety because we have people in the courtroom of our mind and we're, waking, we're waiting for the wrath of God to fall on them and we think when it does, we'll throw a party. Finally, justice has been served. Can I tell you, justice was served on the cross of Calvary when the Son of God died in my place and in your place for our sin and the wrath of God was poured out on his Son so that we could be set free but also so we could look at others who have offended us and set them free as well. That's the gospel. Reasonableness is the heart of a person who will let Jesus fight his battles, who will let the Lord control the outcomes. And, and Paul's willing to do that in Philippians, Philippians 1.21. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm here in prison, and if I live, it's Christ, and if I die, it's gain. I'm going to trust God with it. In chapter 2 and verse number 5, he's saying, we got to have the same mind uh, of Christ Jesus who laid down his life. And in chapter 3 and verse number 7, Paul again makes it very clear, but whatever gain I counted as loss for the sake of Christ... So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust Jesus with the outcome. That is this reasonableness. One of, the, one of the saddest moments in church history, I'm sure there were sadder moments, but if you go back, I think it's 1529, and you go to Marburg, and you, you don't know where Marburg is, you don't care where Marburg is, that's okay. But there were 18 guys from all over Europe that were meeting to try to hammer out uh, some things that, the leaders of the church all across Europe agreed upon. There were some really famous historical names there. Zwingli was there. Busser was there. A lot of guys were there trying to figure out what do we agree on. They agreed on on most things. I think there were, I think there were, uh, I don't know, 18 things that could have been agreed upon. They agreed upon 17 of them, but they came to the final thing, and the final thing was over uh, transubstantiation, consubstantiation, or the symbolic view of the Lord's table. Does the, does, does the bread and, the, and the, the wine become the body and blood of Christ, or does Christ exist in the bread and the wine, or are they symbols of the body and blood of Christ so that we remember? And so they're they're fighting this thing out. And Luther finally says, all right, guys, Matthew 26, here's the word. Here's the key. This is my body. He reaches over on the table in the dust, and he, he, he didn't write it in English. I guess he spoke German. And he wrote is. Because, daggone it, Luther was right. He had scripture to back him up. Is means is. And there were brothers that came to extend the right hand of fellowship, and Luther would not have it. He would not have it. Because the disagreement was going to be bigger than the advancement of the gospel. And by the way, I believe Luther was wrong. No, that may, you may, like, Mark Powell, Martin Luther. Hmm. <laughs> right? I believe he was wrong. I also believe he was unreasonable. Not only do I believe he was wrong, but I believe he was unreasonable. And the text is telling us, let our reasonableness be seen and known. We should be characterized as somebody that is reasonable and we should, this reasonableness should, should dominate our lives because the, notice, notice what he says. He says, 
Because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is coming back soon. Certainly he is close and he is in us and he is also with us. So he's saying rejoice, lean towards grace. Let your reasonableness trust God with the issues. Continue to move forward. The Lord is at hand. He is returning soon. What is going to matter when he comes back? And then he comes to verse 6. And we have this word anxiety. In light of all of that, in light of rejoicing in the Lord, in light of this reasonableness, in light of the Lord being at hand, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, I thought, how can I, how can I illustrate this? Because you, you know what? I don't believe there's one of us in this room that could say we've never experienced anxiety. And believe it or not, but I'm not going to leave here today because I preached this sermon and looked at and understand this text and walk out and say, you know what? I'm glad he preached that. I'll never, I'll never experience anxiety again. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to experience anxiety before one o'clock today. Something's going to happen and anxiety is going to erupt in my heart. And what am I going to do with it? I've got to go back and I've got to say, there is this reality of anxiety. And interestingly enough, I've got a can of bike beans to illustrate anxiety. There is this reality of anxiety that is going to erupt in my heart over and over and over again. But the question is, am I going to try to take control? The question is, am I going to control, try to control outcomes? The question is, am I going to let anxiety dominate my life? Or am I going to go back to rejoicing in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice and let my anxiety be, be experienced in a general context of my life, which is going to be the context of rejoicing. And if you can't rejoice in M&Ms, I don't know what's wrong with you. What are you going to do? And so I'm going to, I'm going to have to be constantly having this internal conversation as I deal with the anxiety that's going on in my life. And I'm going to have to be evaluating my own heart. But I'm also going to have to understand that there is a bigger picture. Uh, my citizenship is in heaven. The Lord is coming back soon. I should rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let my reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand. These things bracket the experience of anxiety so that when I experience anxiety, I take it to the Lord, to this greater context of my life, which is rejoicing, which is leaning toward grace, leaning toward the goodness of God. But we have this word anxiety. You need to know what anxiety means. I just kind of looked anxiety up online, and man, there's a ton of stuff to do with anxiety. And you know what they said the best thing to do for anxiety? They said, talk to someone that you believe cares about you. Oh, be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication. Talk to somebody that you believe really cares about you. Anxiety is worry, it's tension, it's being afraid, it's feeling like you're under attack. It's a common experience. It's also a buzzword for anything that bothers us in our culture. Anxiety is the absence of peace. But, but listen to this definition of anxiety. It means to be drawn in opposite directions. It means to be divided into parts. It means to go to pieces. It means to be pulled apart. Here is, here is what anxiety is made up of. Anxiety is made up of a desire that goes unmet and makes me angry. Now, I, I'm not here to give a medical diagnosis if you're experiencing some form of anxiety, and I'm not here to be critical of that, and I'm not here to say that I know anything about it, but I'm going to tell you what this word here means that Paul is addressing. It means that there are people who have expectations, and when those expectations don't get met, they get angry about those expectations, and it causes them to go to pieces on the inside. Anxiety comes when we desire to control outcomes and we do everything right to get the desired outcome, but we don't get the outcome that we desired and then we despise the outcome that God has given us and all of that clogs up our emotions and our mind and that translates into physical and relational impact. And we all experience some form of anxiety. 
I don't believe any of us is above it. I don't believe any of us is free of it. I would say that the struggle is real. But it's also deeply connected to how we interact with the world and with the people and with ourselves. And we need to diagnose our own hearts when we're experiencing. Paul is saying, be anxious for this definition, nothing. I'm sorry. I failed, Paul. But in everything, I thought about everything and I thought, it reminded me of Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good. Now, can I tell you something? The, the key to that is knowing that I don't know all things, but God does. Right? I don't know all things. All things are working together for good. It's like, oh, I don't, this, this, don't, this don't feel good. And if you're God and you're working, it should feel a whole lot different than this, right? I mean, it just, I know for, that's the way I feel. All things, but God's in control of all things and God knows what's good. And sometimes you can take the parts of something that God is working on, just like the parts of a recipe. I mean, my wife throws some stuff in a recipe that I would never eat by itself. Flour doesn't taste good, but I'm telling you, you put some eggs and some sugar and you put it in the blender and you put make me an egg custard pie, oh my goodness. But I would never eat flour by itself. The Lord is, is, is dealing with all things and he's working them together for good, but he's working them together for good to make us like Christ. To make us like Christ. And so Paul is saying, be anxious for nothing but in, but in everything. And then he, then he lays this out for, for us. In everything through prayer. What is prayer? The, the word prayer actually means this. Prayer is me turning toward God and exchanging my desires for his. Prayer is turning toward God and exchanging my desires for his. That's prayer. And supplication. Supplication means, means need. And, and so it's okay for us in our prayer to supplicate. And Lord, I say to the Lord, Lord, I believe in this moment that I need something, but that, that supplication should not be a demand, but it should be a devotion. It should be, it should be one who is going to a father that you know loves you that you know is going to take care of you, that you know is going to provide for you, that you know cares more about you than you could ever care for yourself. So, so, so supplication is, is going to this God that I know loves me. Supplication is conversing with God. It is a heartfelt petition that I confidently take to God, knowing that he cares deeply, knowing that he listens intently, and trusting that he knows what he is doing and will do the right thing. That's supplication. With thanksgiving, a heart of gratitude. Not a key to getting what I want or a response to getting what I want. But it's just a heart gratitude for who he is. And he says, and let your request. The word request means a thing asked for. A request is a, is, is a need that is brought into the presence of God, confident that when I bring it into the presence of God, this is what a, what a request is, confident, confident that when I bring it into the presence of God, he hears and he knows. The word gnosko is rooted in that knowledge. He knows. He cares. We're not alone. Then finally, the third thing we see is the peace. The peace of God, not the peace of man. The peace of God, not the peace of man. Paul is probably thinking, I would like to have some relief. I wish people weren't chasing me. I wish people weren't beating me. I wish I didn't have an infection from these wounds. I wish I could get some antibiotics or some neosporin. I wish I could get some painkillers. These stocks are, are rubbing my hands, my feet. Wish I could get out of this prison. I'm just trying to tell people good news. It's not going to do anything but help them make their life better. I'm tired of being hated. I'm sure he's thinking that. 
I'm tired of trouble erupting everywhere I go. Lord, could you just make it better? Could you make it easier? (laughs) There's something better. It's called the peace of God. It's called the peace of God. The peace of God. He said the peace of God surpasses all understanding. It's above. It is superior to It's superior to reason. It's superior to explanation. It's superior to giving a reason for. It is the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding that literally can bypass your, your, your intellectual capacities. But it brings you to a place of saying, everything around me should be just driving me crazy, but, but I've got peace. The word understanding is mind, it is intellect, it is reasoning. It's okay sometimes to say, I don't know, and to press into the peace of God. It passes understanding, and it guards. The word guard means to be a watcher in advance. It means to garrison about. In other words, the peace of God stands guard on your heart even when things are coming at it. It is in advance guarding your heart protecting your heart, surrounding your heart, surrounding your thoughts, surrounding your feelings, surrounding your emotions, surrounding your mind, surrounding your intellect, surrounding your perception. And when our hearts are guarded, it will then bring healing to some of these issues that we face and deal with, like Uodi and Santiki, who can't get along because their hearts are just stirred up toward one another in anger and bitterness. And he closes it out by saying, in Christ Jesus. If you go to verse 10, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. How, Paul? (laughs) Because of the peace of God that surpasses understanding. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Because I have the peace of God that passes understanding. I don't don't have any final points. I don't have anything else to say but just that. And I would just encourage you to take a minute and just rejoice in the Lord. We've tried everything else. I know I have. We just, we just really want to feel better. We want to feel peace. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in his grace. Leaning toward grace. Always. And again, I say rejoice. That's just simple. Just drink this. Drink this. This simple cup of rejoicing. I'm not saying all your problems will go away. But there is this promise of the peace of God that passes understanding. And I promise you this, that when whatever is causing your anxiety and my anxiety goes away, there's something waiting (laughs) to come along. And when it comes along, we're going to be like, what just happened? I feel like I'm going to pieces inside. There's something just waiting. The, the, the chamber's loaded. The gun is cocked. And when this season of anxiety gets over, there's going to be another one, and we need to run to the Lord, and we need to pray. Supplication. Thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God.
and we're going to keep going through these cycles of anxiety and we're going to keep going back to the greater context of rejoicing and we're going to keep experiencing peace and we're going to do that until the day that we die and then Jesus is coming back. The Lord is at hand. And it's not here. Read 1 Peter chapter 1. It's not here that everything's going to be made right. It's not going to be made right here. But it will be made right. But until then, let us take our anxiety and experience it in the context of rejoicing in the Lord. Come and remember the Lord. Remember who Jesus is and what he's done. Remember this morning that, that you can come to him in prayer, exchanging your desires for his, and in supplication to a father who genuinely cares and bring your burdens to him. And when you come to him, the scripture tells us that we will experience the peace of God that passes understanding. And so as you come today, remember him. Remember him. Father, bless us as we remember you this morning. And Lord, some of us are in a season of anxiety, some far more intense than others, some that none of us would dare choose to be in. But that's where you, oh God, in your sovereignty, have us. And I pray this morning that you would put your hand on us and help us to realize that more critical than any offense against us, more critical than anything that anybody is doing to us, more critical than anything that is happening inside of us mentally or physically, is our heart and I pray that we would examine our hearts today and I pray that our hearts would turn toward you and I pray that you would give us the peace of God that passes understanding in our heart and I pray that we would be a people who while we will not live in denial of anxiety or circumstances that trigger it in our lives would you almighty God be gracious to us today and help us to experience that in the context of rejoicing in you and when anxiety gives us a gut punch, let us remember the words. And again, I say, rejoice. I pray that you would let our reasonableness be known to all. I pray that you would let us today trust you with outcomes. And I pray that we would just feel I pray that we would feel the breeze of the nearness of your return. And I pray that it would radically transform our life. Flood our troubled hearts with the peace of God that passes understanding. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.